I'm thinking about the new year. I'm thinking about this new season, thinking about all that God has in store for us over the next 12 months. I just kind of have the sneaking suspicion that if you thought last year was crazy, just wait, hold on because God is just getting started here in the Northwest. <laughs> but I felt like the Lord laid something on my heart for us this morning. I'll share a couple just high level thoughts about what the new year means for us as believers. And then I wanna share with you a story about the life of Christ out of the Gospel of Luke and in chapter four. And my hope is that you'll leave here today encouraged, built up, stirred up, ready to face whatever challenges we find here as a community over this next season. But it struck me this week that the best news about the new year is that you in fact serve the same God. Oh, the calendar has shifted. The news cycle has changed. The elections are over, thank God. Your insurance rates have gone up. The markets have tanked. Yeah, you are one year closer to the next thing and you are one year further away from the last thing. But the best news that there has ever been is that in the midst of an ever-changing world around you, you have the God who changes not. You worship the same God. He's got the same power to save. He's got the same authority to heal. He's got the same anointing to deliver. And he has the same sovereign prerogative to reign. Oh, the world's got new heresies, but the gospel still declares the same truth. The culture's got new addictions, but where the spirit of the Lord is, there is still freedom and liberty for those who are in captivity. The devil got new tricks, but for this reason, the Son of God is still made manifest to dismantle and destroy the works of darkness. <laughs> and here's the reality for us, friend. Our lives will move in the direction of our disciplines. The new year don't have any magic power to make you smart. It don't have magic power to make you skinny. It don't have power to make you spiritual, sexy, wealthy, or wise. The calendar only got the power to serve as a record of time, but it actually doesn't have the power to mature your life, establish your habits, strengthen your foundation, or renew your mind. In a lot of ways, there ain't nothing more spiritual about January 1st than there was about December 31st. The only thing that is new today that you didn't have yesterday is fresh mercy from God for the journey ahead. Somebody told me this week, pastor, God wants to bless you in 2023. And I said, thank you. And I agree. But he also wanted to bless me last year and the year before. He wants to bless me next year and the year after that, because I don't serve a God who is enslaved to the calendars of man. So the year doesn't determine my blessing, God does. The calendar doesn't determine my anointing, God does. And every year from the cross forward has been the year of my blessing, the year of my anointing, the year of my empowerment, and the year of my prosperity. Because when Jesus died on the cross, the grace of God that brings salvation, it appeared to all men, and in doing so adopted us into a covenant of favor by which we now boldly proclaim every good and perfect gift. It comes from the Father above, the Father of lights, and in Him there is no shadow of turning. And did you know that the Gregorian calendar, which is the one that we follow, 
wasn't even introduced until 1582. <laughs> According to the Chinese calendar, it's the year of the rabbit. According to the Hebrew calendar, it's the year of divine retribution. And according to the Mayan calendar, we were all supposed to be dead by 2020. But the calendar doesn't dictate to God, God dictates to it. So watch what the scriptures say. Don't say four months and then the harvest, it's now. Don't say next year is the year of breakthrough for my family, it's now. Don't say next year is the year of my healing, it's time now. And so often we push off on another year the things that God, in fact, by his own power, desires to do in this very moment. And that's why Jesus tells his disciples, lift up your eyes. Why? Because we get so focused on the here and now. We get so focused on what the calendar says, what the news says, what the stock market says, what our favorite celebrity says. We get so focused on the pronosticators of our culture declaring things that are not true about the day in which we live. The government says it's a winter of disaster. The markets say it's a system of downturn. The financial folks say we're going into a recession, but not true for the people of God. We are the head, not the tail. We are highly favored and highly blessed. And I'm not waiting for next year for what God wants to do right now. See, when God says it's time for the fig tree to produce, it does not matter the season, the year, or the soil, it's time to grow. When God says it's time to cast your nets, it does not matter the time, the energy, or the opinions of other boats, it is time to fish. The pattern of scripture is not Christ waiting around anxiously for midnight to strike so that a new day can begin or a new spiritual season can start. The pattern of scripture is that when God says it's time, that's the only permission you need for your life to come into divine alignment and in doing so, never be the same. When Jesus healed on the Sabbath, they said it's the wrong time. When Jesus cast demons out of folks in the synagogue, they said, it's the wrong place. When Jesus announced that if you have seen me, you have seen the father, they said, it's the wrong man. Culture always has an excuse for why it can't be now, it can't be right, it can't happen in our midst. For every supporter, you got 10 critics, folks who are drowning in a bathtub of negativity, not realizing they're swimming in an ocean of possibility. For every time you take a step for a dream that God has placed in your life, you got folks coming out of the woodworks, giving you every reason why it can't happen now. But what if we dared ourselves to believe that God is bigger than the time-space continuum? What if we dared ourselves to believe that all of history bows in reverence to the Lordship of Jesus Christ? What if we believed that when Christ hung on the cross and said it is finished, he didn't mean I am finished. He meant the blood has been shed, the atonement has been made, and every year forward is the year of deliverance for God's people. I want you to think about this year like you would think about a book with 365 pages. Where there'll be pages you don't understand, yes. Will there be chapters that aren't as exciting as the last? Sure. Will there be times where you are tempted to stop reading because it's difficult? Absolutely. But the God who begun your story, he is faithful to finish it, and you simply can't afford to quit reading now. 
And isn't this our human temptation? I'm going to start strong. But as soon as I fall or make a mistake, I got to wait until next year to try again. No, the only difference between a Christian who succeeds and a Christian who fails is that the Christian who succeeds didn't give up when he fell down. He didn't stop trying when he made a mistake and he didn't wait around for another year hoping that it would somehow give him a false sense of motivation to develop and mature. One of the things that I love seeing at the turn of every year is the difference in attendance at gyms between the month of December, the month of January, and then the month of February. <laughs> you know how gyms make all their money? On people who buy memberships and don't ever show up. But a gym is actually the best description of what church is for the believer. Church isn't an ER only to be visited in case of emergency. Church isn't a museum only showcasing the relics of what God did in the past. Church ain't a retirement home, only a place people arrive to relax until they die. No, church is the gathering of living stones, priests unto God, and elect and a peculiar people who express purposes to glorify Jesus. The church is the gym. The church is the health club. The church is the daily discipline, the weekly routine, the place where you and your family come to get healthy. Oh, it may not happen overnight, but if you will plant yourself in the house of God, you will prosper. Paul tells the church in Ephesus, he says, redeem the time for the days they are evil. And how would one go about redeeming time? I believe it's by taking authority and responsibility for your spiritual development. Instead of allowing a lifeless calendar to convince you that 2023 is gonna be any different than 2022, the only thing that has the power to make the decision to change is you. And watch what the gospel author Luke records in the book that bears his name. Starting in chapter four and in verse 13, the scriptures say this. Now, when the devil had finished all this tempting, he left Jesus until the next opportunity came. <laughs> Jesus is just about to begin his three and a half year public ministry. And prior to his first miracle, his first teaching, his first sermon, his first crusade, he finds himself being tempted in the wilderness by the devil for 40 days. Now, let me just stop there for a moment this morning and make this observation. Jesus had three and a half years of public ministry following 30 years of relative obscurity. In fact, we know almost nothing about the life of Christ from zero to 30, outside of his miraculous birth and his parents leaving him behind in the temple for three days at the age of 12. 
But what I love about this diagnostic of time as it pertains to the life of Christ is it actually communicates to us something important about the principles of the way in which God works. See, we live in a culture today that wants 30 seconds of development and then 30 years of powerful ministry. But Jesus has 30 years of being under the Father's hand. Jesus has 30 years of submitting himself to his parents. Jesus has 30 years of learning and growing in the wisdom stature in favor of God and of men. And when the father said it was time, Jesus is released on the stage of history. And for three and a half years, his impact is so felt that 2000 years later, we still write songs about the things that he did. And what if we could reevaluate our value system in light of that equation? If you're waiting, keep waiting. You're in good company. If you're being developed, keep being developed. You're in good company. What if it's another 30 years before you see that dream come to pass? What if it's another 30 years until you see that prayer get answered? What if it's another 30 years until you see that promotion that God promised being delivered on your doorstep? I would dare to say it is worth it to wait because the greater the development, the greater the destiny. God is at work, even when it doesn't feel like it. But I want you to see what the Bible says. The devil, when he was all done, left Jesus until the next opportunity arrived. Yeah, I want you to see something important this morning. I bind the devil every week. I bind fear, infirmity, unbelief, depression. I bind it every week. And here's why. Spiritual warfare is not the Christian uttering some magic words and then never dealing with the devil ever again. No, spiritual warfare is the Christian standing and after doing everything to stand, continuing to stand. Spiritual warfare is the act of reminding yourself, I have a defeated enemy, but I serve a powerful God. <laughs> well, it seems like we pray for that every week. We do. It seems like you cancel the works of darkness every week. I do. Because this is what it looks like to be a spiritual person who is engaged in spiritual warfare. See, the problem is, is that we understand spiritual warfare and spiritual development through the lens of achievement. Like when I graduate high school, I get a diploma, which means I never go back. And then when I graduate from college, I get a degree and that means I never go back. And so we look at spiritual things, but we process them through humanistic realities. And I want you to know that you are engaged in spiritual development and in spiritual warfare until the day that Jesus calls you home, which means I'm going to bind the devil on Sunday and I'm going to bind him on Monday and I'm going to bind him on Tuesday and I'm going to bind him on Wednesday. And I'm going to remind myself as many times as I need to that I have a defeated enemy, but I serve the living God. See, every time the enemy seeks to exploit an opportunity to tempt me or try me, it is my job to remind him that he's been defeated. And in fact, God has provided a way of, of escape so that I may be able to endure every temptation that comes my way. Now watch how the story continues in verse 14. Then Jesus returned from the wilderness in the power of the spirit to Galilee. And the news, one translation says, and the fame of him went out through all the surrounding region. And he taught in their synagogues, <clears throat> being glorified by all. 
Watch. The net result of Jesus coming out of the wilderness, praying and fasting, resisting the devil, is that he returns to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. I want you to think about this for just a moment this morning. Jesus is the anointed one. He is fully God and fully man. There has never been a moment in all of history where the Spirit of God did not take residence inside the person of Jesus. For even as Paul records, it pleased the Father that in Christ the fullness of the Godhead should dwell. But Luke records something interesting. Christ returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. Essentially this, there was a marked increase, a marked change, a visible difference on the life of Christ as he comes out of the wilderness, defeating temptation and returning to Galilee. You know, when the scriptures talk about being filled with the Spirit, they don't talk about it in the context of a one-time event. They talk about it in the context of being continually filled as wind fills the sails of a boat. Well, I already got baptized in the Holy Spirit. Good, it's time to get baptized again. I already got prayed for passion and courage. Good, it's time to get stirred up again because you need daily bread, not weekly bread, not monthly bread, not once a year at conference bread, not bread from online, not bread stale from that friend who had that revelation four years ago. You need a daily encounter with a faithful God who is more than enough for every circumstance of your life. If Jesus needed to be filled with the Spirit, how much more do we need it today? See, the word power used in verse 14 is the Greek word dunamis. It's where we get the English word dynamite. It means the inherent power, watch, residing in a person or a thing by virtue of its nature. And Jesus comes out of the wilderness with explosive power for signs, wonders, miracles, and manifestations. But here's what's interesting. The Bible never records that he asked for that. But by virtue of being with the Father, resisting the devil, and defeating temptation, what resides in the Father is now manifest through the Son. I'm not asking for miracles. I'm asking for intimacy. I'm not asking for explosive power. I'm asking for nearness because I know that if I get his heart, I'll get everything else that is in his hand. And this is what Jesus says in John 15. He said, I am the vine and you are the branches. And if you remain in me and I remain in you and my words dwell richly in your heart, then you will bear fruit that remains. I'm not praying for fruit, I'm praying for the faith to abide because when my root system is connected to the river, I don't have to will myself into bearing fruit, I don't have to force myself into miracles, I don't have to convince myself into authority by virtue of my connectedness, that is what blooms from my life. <laughs> well, could I have an anointing for miracles? You could, but you don't even have to ask for it if you're submitted under the mighty hand of the Lord, because what's on him will be manifest through you. And here's the danger. If we love the gifts more than the giver, we become the prodigal asking for our inheritance apart from our relationship. No, this will normally manifest through your life if you'll abide in him.
The supernatural will become super normal if you abide in him. This is the result of believers who are rooted in the house of God, thriving in the presence of God with nearness to the person of God. Verse 16, so he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. I love this. As was his custom. Don't miss it this morning. With 100% certainty, I can tell you today, you need holy habits in your life that anchor your week. This is not about being religious. It is about understanding the importance of compounding spiritual interest. I'm gonna show up when I feel like it and when I don't. I'm gonna worship when I feel like it and when I don't. I'm gonna serve, give, smile, and pray when I feel like it and when I don't because I have learned the value of holy habits that anchor my life and drive my development. See, the problem we face today is people who desire development, but they hate routine. I want to grow. I want to succeed. I want to be accomplished. I just don't have the diligence to follow through. I want the recognition of hard work without the actualization of any work. I want to play on the team. I just don't want to show up for practice. Come on, prophet, raise, raise your hand. Come on, pastor, just anoint me. Come on, just say that word. Come on, just transfer that thing. There is a reason Paul says, lay hands on no man suddenly. Because <laughs> the most dangerous that you will ever be is flowing in the gifts, but disconnected from the person. Oh, look at all my successes. Yeah, but what does it profit a man to gain the world and lose his own soul? <laughs> Here's the reality, friend. In our world today, we have never ending excuses for why we go undeveloped. Just let me step on some toes today. At the end of your life, you will not stand before that pastor who hurt you. At the end of your life, you will not stand before that boss who fired you, that friend who lied on you, that doctor who diagnosed you, or that partner who cheated on you. One day, you will stand before a holy God, and the question will be, what have you done with that which you were entrusted with? So here is my question for you today. What routines, customs, patterns, and habits are you willing to commit to so that in both big ways and small ways, God can develop every square inch of your heart. <laughs> and in verse 17, the story continues. Luke records the first ever public sermon that Jesus gives. If Jesus was in a preaching class, he would have flunked it. There was no analogy. There was no illustrations. There was no PowerPoint, screen, notes, there was no magic tricks, lights, fog. Jesus shows up in Luke 4, and all he does is quote the prophet Isaiah. And then he sits down and says, today, this is fulfilled in your midst. I love this. <clears throat> when you've got authority, you don't have to pretend it exists in your life 
by droning on for 45 minutes to an hour and a half to try to convince people that you're drilling when everybody knows there's no oil underneath your feet. Like we're going to somehow exhaust the people of God into an encounter. I've seen that too. I preach shorter today than I ever have because I got more authority today than I've ever had. And can I tell you one verse under God's anointing can transform your whole life. One three minute prophetic exhortation under the anointing can change your whole life. We've got libraries at our fingertips. We got the best theological schools that exist. We got the most in-depth study, Hebrew, Greek, backwards and forwards. We've got all the charts to figure out on what date Christ is going to return. We have been over-educated and under-anointed and in doing so serve people, not living bread, but stale bread. And Jesus under the anointing quotes the prophet Isaiah and in doing so sets off a tidal wave that would change the entire known world. Why? Because when you got authority, you don't gotta tell anybody they just know and he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah and when he had opened the book he found the place where it was written the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach freedom to the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free. And I love this, to proclaim the year of God's favor. Then he closed the book, gave it back to the attendant, sat down and all the eyes of those who were in the synagogue were affixed on him. And he began to say to them today, this day, this moment, in this hour, in this synagogue, in this city, amongst these people, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Now you got to understand this. When Jesus is quoting the prophet Isaiah, he is quoting the portion of scripture most associated with what happens during what is called the year of Jubilee. Now the year of Jubilee was a time of celebration mandated from the Lord that the Hebrew children had to observe every 50 years. And every 50 years in the Jewish calendar, during the year of Jubilee, debts were forgiven, prisoners were set free, Slaves were released and land was restored. Now watch this. Jesus says something so audacious that it almost gets him killed at the end of Luke 4. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your midst. Jesus is saying this, I am the fulfillment of what every feast, every holiday, every custom, every sacrifice, and every law looked forward to. I am the very fulfillment and personification of Jubilee because in me, debts are forgiven. In me, prisoners are set free. In me, slaves are released. And in me, land is restored. 
restored. The Jubilee year never carried within it inerrant power to change anyone's life or circumstance. It was a shadow that prophesied in part what one day Christ would do in fullness. And as all the eyes of those who are in the synagogue are fixed on Jesus, he tells the captivated listeners, you will never again have to wait another 50 years to experience Jubilee, your new life, your new year, your new freedom, your new journey, your new patterns, your new habits, your new desires, they begin today. Can you imagine the conversation of the religious folks in this setting? Who does he think he is? It's not Jubilee. I run our calendars. I know exactly what year we're in. He doesn't just get to come up into our nice little religious service and announce Jubilee in the middle of church. We control who gets forgiveness. We control who gets freedom. We control who deserves mercy. We control who receives grace. And Christ walks up right in the middle of their religious gathering and he upsets every sacred cow they had left. Why? Because Jubilee is no longer a holiday. It's a person. His name is Jesus. And he is here to set the captives free. And my friend, that's the Jesus we worship this morning. Your freedom is not waiting on the calendar to change one more day. Your breakthrough is not waiting on 2024 because God somehow doesn't have enough power to do it in 2023. Revival is not waiting on some sort of end times timeline by which God finally wakes up and decides to pour out his spirit on all flesh. Every day from the cross forward is the year of jubilee for God's people. And when you recognize the person of Christ who dwells richly in our hearts, by faith. It propels you into seasons of freedom that you could have never previously imagined. We are not waiting on God. He is waiting on us. And it is our year, not because it's 2023. It is our year, not because the church is growing. It is our year, not because our social media reach is expanding. It is our year because there is a man named Jesus who sits on a golden throne in front of a glassy sea and he has has announced to all humanity, it's time for Jubilee. Awesome, hey, would you stay standing? Let me pray for you this morning. Father, now in the mighty name of Jesus, we pray that that scripture would also be fulfilled in our midst. May this scripture also be fulfilled in our families, our businesses, and our spheres of influence. May it be true unto us according to your word. God, today we receive the freedom that you achieved for us on the cross. God, today we receive that renewal in our mind 
that you secured for us through your atonement. We ain't waiting on another year. We ain't waiting on another month. We're not waiting on another cycle of the moon, another astrological sign for the upcoming season. With our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, we boldly proclaim this is the year of God's favor for our lives, this church, and this community. God, I pray that you would do our best work, you do your best work inside of us. And that in doing so, God, we would be quick to give you all the praise, glory, and honor. Knowing that the accomplishments of our lives are not credited to the ingenuity of the human heart but instead the great sacrifice and empowerment of the one that we worship. And so God, may your scriptures come alive inside of us. May your anointing abide richly in our hearts. And in doing so, may we see the prophetic realization of Luke 4 and Isaiah 61 manifested in this place. God will give you all the praise, glory, and honor. In Jesus' name, come on, all God's people said amen.